you're listening to the Shed Some Light Podcast, where the beers are kept cold and the conversation is always flowing. Coming to you live, it's Michael and Jack. Sit back, relax, and grab a cold one. It's time to get started. We're back. Weird Wednesday, volume 31, May 12th. Michael, how you doing? I am doing fantastic. We've made it to Wednesday, you know, halfway through the week. Can't complain about that. Before we get into today's... Well, Jack, first, how are you doing? I just couldn't figure out how to fucking record for a second, so I'm really pissed off at the moment. But, you know, we're here. We're drinking a Miller Lite, so that's all I can ask for. It's funny because we were just talking about last episode how we felt so professional using an actual recording software. I forgot how to do it in about two days. It's so much harder. I guess it's worth it because the final product sounds better, but still, so much harder. Just pissed me right off, let me tell (laughs) you. Um... Before we get into today's topic, I'd like to give a special shout-out to one of our listeners, Jim, down in Indianapolis. Shout-out to Jim. Shout-out to Jim for suggesting today's topic. Uh, that's that's where I'm going to leave it. I'll let you do the whole proper intro for today's show. Okay, yeah. So, like you said, Jim, shout-out to him. You gave us the idea for this. Uh, we In this episode, we are talking about the Sons of Sam Netflix documentary. Um Strap in. It's going to be a long one. A lot to break down. It's uh, it's fucking something. I'll tell you that. It is pretty crazy. I mean, yes, we are talking about the Netflix documentary, but we're also just talking about this whole case in general. The Actually, all of our facts came from watching this documentary, I guess. Yeah. Also, this is one where, you know, obviously if you want to watch the documentary, go ahead and do that. But I'm not going to say spoiler alert because it's just, like like you said, it's just facts. It's just a case. You can't spoil something that's already happened. Yeah. Also, I'm going to be honest to all the listeners. I only finished three of the four episodes. So I don't know how – I don't technically know how it ends in the documentary-wise. I know how it ends in real life, you know, just the facts. So all my comments will be based off the first three episodes. Yeah, in my opinion, uh, I kind of told you this before. We'll get into it later, but very anticlimactic ending, in my opinion. But we'll get into it. So I kind of think the best way to do this is almost just break it down episode by episode. It goes pretty much chronologically for the most part. Okay. Um, So we get into it, episode one. First of all, before we get into the actual crime, I just want to talk about this when they were talking about it. Uh, Summer of 1977, they said there were 11,000 serious crimes in New York in one year. That's fucking crazy. That's tough. That's like what? Like four a day? Well, didn't they say that it it affected one out of every 15 people or something like that? dude, that's nuts. Especially in New York. Dude, that would suck. That would suck. Insane. Insane. Uh, Yeah. This was a a true coast-to-coast extravaganza if you will yeah yeah it was it was it took place in new york we had some la stuff thrown in there we had I would some say north dakota stuff yeah i would say it's there. uh mostly east coast to middle america and then you just dip your toe in the west coast real quick also completely off topic here are the dakotas considered the midwest 
I don't really understand why Indiana is considered the Midwest, if we're being completely honest here. It's not in the west side of the country. Yeah, but I feel like the Midwest is like... I feel like the Dakotas are more geographically speaking Midwest comparatively to yeah, Indiana. Yeah, correct, but I feel like the Dakotas fall into like no man's land where they're not the they're Midwest, but America. they're not the West Coast. They're just middle America. I'm fine with that. So is that not what I said? Well, middle America and the Midwest to me are two different yeah yeah yeah. but i said i i didn't say midwest did i at the beginning i don't know i I think i said middle america okay Okay. we'll get into it so it basically starts off the first episode is a very uh i would almost say quick like synopsis of all the killings Mm -hmm. immediately Mm -hmm. um so there were eight attacks that happened over like a little bit more than a year um and it starts july 29th 1976 uh, it's his first killing. It is the the first killing at the time. Um, but then what was was kind of like shocking to me is they don't even put the, the like pieces together that it's a serial killer until like April seventeenth of next year. Dude, it almost goes a full year without them being like, yeah, we have a serial killer. Oh, sick. Jeez, what a Shout out to Siri listening to this. Um, oh, sorry. March 8th is when they come up with the fact that it is a serial killer. That whole first episode, it felt like the police were just absolutely clueless as oh, to what yeah. was going on. Like, there were no leads. There was no solid evidence. It just seemed like everything with all of these killings were happening completely randomly. No motives, nothing like that. That first episode, I was like, wow. The police are just done. Yeah, so like I said, the first killing is July of 1976, and it doesn't. It takes five more murders, or I guess they're not all murders. Five more attacks um, until they get a like connection. Because, and I guess this is one of the tougher things. There's no real like rhyme or reason to like who he's killing. Right. He, they, 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 he, they were not targeting a certain demographic. They were not targeting men, women older younger it was just like a lot of times almost seemed like a crime of opportunity and i guess that's what's tough for the police when you're like yeah i mean it's just people sitting in their cars like that's what it was it was he was walking up to people sitting in their cars shooting them and then just getting away yep which was another thing that i had written down uh pretty crazy that in 1977 you could just like pop somebody in their car walk away and just have people would be like well i don't have any evidence yeah, dude, I know. Crime back dude, in the that's day. That's crazy. Just I guess living back in the day just seemed like it was like the Wild West. Dude, that was, was no that's surveillance like, cameras. There was nothing like that's like like and I I know that forty years is a very long time, but like this dude gets caught within like an hour. It like today. Yeah. Like sure. he like if he does this, even in like because it's like a lot of times he was doing it in like neighborhoods or like lovers' lanes or whatever, but like you got ring doorbells that have cameras. You got, like, different houses that have security cameras. Like, this guy gets caught within the day. There's cameras everywhere. Yeah. Within the day, this guy gets caught. Um, and so, uh, like I said, it comes around, like, March 8th, and this is the first time they realize that they are dealing with a serial killer because the bullets match up. They are calling him the forty-four caliber killer because he's using a forty-four caliber gun. Um, but they... Again, they don't really have any leads. They don't even know if uh, it's they're dealing with like one person or more people 
which is the first time in this documentary that they um, kind of like dip their toe into the idea of the conspiracy behind it. Um, but then his their their next killing is when it kind of really just kind of goes off the rail. April 17th, two more are killed, uh, a man and a woman. Uh, and this is kind of like the thing that breaks this open and is uh, extremely scary. This guy leaves a note at the crime scene. Uh, and he talks about how people are calling him a woman hater, but he's not a woman hater, but he calls himself, he says, I am a monster and I am the son of Sam. And so this is the first time you get the documentary name, Son of Sam. Uh, he talks about his quote-unquote father, Sam, who gets drunk, he gets mean, he beats his family. Um, and so you can tell this guy is very, like, mentally fucked up. Unstable. It would seem. He talks about how uh, he has to go out and kill, commands his, like, father. So it's the first time you kind of, like, take this, like, real big deep dive into who this guy is and why he's doing this. And it, this is what kind of grabs the headline um, of this whole thing. And this is also kind of the first time where you kind of see the main almost overarching plot theme which is like the battle between a the police b the like investigative journalism and then c like just news who wants like like people to read their like like headline yep and uh, one of my takes from that first letter there again we don't condone any of this in any sort of way but that's 40, a wild way to just start the 44 caliber killer is a much cooler name, in my opinion, than the Sons of Sam. Son of Sam sounds more uh, scary. If you're trying to instill fear on in like people, which is like what I am guessing that that person was trying to do. Yeah, I mean, I Son guess Son of so. Sam definitely sounds way more scary. But the 44 caliber killer was like, that's a pretty sweet name. Yeah, and then so they also talk about going into the deep dive and trying to figure out why his name was Son of Sam because at the time, obviously, they don't really know anything about him. Uh, and they were wondering if he called himself the Son of Sam because Sam the Devil is a common phrase that is used or if they were talking about Uncle Sam and saying it's like something that America has like almost brought on themselves. Um, so, again, there's like nothing really happens until June of 1997. 77. 77. Sorry, wrote that down wrong. Which the seventh attack, seventh attack, uh, is when that happens. But, uh, like you kind of see it in the documentary, and this is something that like kind of gets circled back to later in the documentary. Is it's coming up to like the year of the one year anniversary, mm -hmm. and it shows like the mass hysteria that this is a, that he is like affecting, like how it's like reaching like. Eight to nine million people. People just stopped going out, stopped doing everything. They bought guns. They bought pepper spray. They showed like uh, the one time where the, like the power went out and there's just like looting and people burning like places, legitimately burning places to the ground. And it's just like it's insane that and and at the time they're thinking this is one guy, right? So they're thinking like, damn, like one guy has brought all this like death and destruction, basically onto like the city of new york yeah it was insane that as you were saying that one person could have that great of an effect on such a i guess overpopulated area and they even touch on that too where it almost helped him the fact that it was in new york city because 
I, I forget the exact quote from the documentary, but it was, you know, like trying to find one person in a city that large, yeah, especially needle at that point in time, is basically impossible. Yeah, and, and like you said, you don't really have any like forensic evidence, DNA, anything like that. So, And the, the sketches that people are giving them almost like contradict each other. The sketches were so different. Like, like almost everyone was like, this is different than the last guy who did this. A completely different person. Yeah. But then they're they're looking at the ballistic evidence and being like, no, this all is like using the same gun, so it has to be the same person. Mm-hmm. Um, so like I said, it gets to July 22nd of 1977, which is a week before the first anniversary of the first shooting. People thought he was going to hit again on the anniversary because he actually writes a letter to uh, one of the um, like investigative journalists, I guess, or journalists that's on one of these news uh, like outlets, and this is where you see the divide between actual investigative journalism and people just wanting to get, like, you know, like people headlines. wanted them, yeah, headlines because this dude publishes his that letter before even like sending it to the police, and like one of the lines that like stood out to me was like, "What are you gonna have prepared for the 29th, which is the year anniversary?" So like, everyone is thinking he's gonna strike, and rightfully so, basically. Um, so. They send out like this huge task force on July 29th and never to stop this killer before, you know, he does anything. They had like cops in wigs and unmarked cars, hundreds of officers driving around. They said this task force was bigger than a lot of actual police stations of like surrounding cities and everything like that. Um, however, nothing happened that night. He, he doesn't do anything. They don't come out. They don't get anybody. One thing on the lighter side that I wanted to touch on. They showed like just kind of like a panorama of the police force. Every single cop had a mustache. <laughs> yeah. Every single cop had a mustache. <laughs> that was pretty awesome. Not a single cop did not have a mustache. Just thick as can be, caterpillar on the top lip. Love it. One thing that I found, again, on the lighter side, interesting, kind of funny, when they released the undercover task force, police force, whatever you want to call it, there was one scene where two undercover cops stop two random guys on the street and they're like, hey, can I see your ID? Well, one, what, like, they don't even know what they're looking for. So, what is an ID going to help in this situation? And two, if two undercover cops come up to me, I have no idea who they are. They're just two Joe Schmoes asking to see my ID. Why would I just whip my ID out for two guys passing me on the road? Yeah, that is true. I, cause I, I mentioned to you, I mentioned, we were watching this together, and I mentioned it right as it happened. I was like, what the fuck would have happened if they didn't have their ID? Would the guy would have been like, oh, this is the guy. It has to be him. He doesn't have an ID. It's like, dude, you guys don't know anything about anybody right now. Like, what the fuck does that matter? I don't know. So, however, he, uh, like we said, he didn't strike on the year anniversary. Two nights later, um, they he strikes again. Uh, July 31st. Um, and this is his last known attack. This is his eighth attack, eighth out of eight. Um, and one of the things that uh, I found very interesting is they talked to the chief of police of New York, and the chief of police says that he he's talking about the, the murder at the time, and he says, quote-unquote, he knows how to plan a murder. I didn't really understand this because... Can you really plan what he was doing? I think what he was just trying to get across is that he knows 
how, when, and where to attack and to get away so that there is minimal evidence, witnesses, anything like that that would implicate him later on. Yeah, but the thing is, this attack, I believe this was the attack of... Uh, I don't know, I'm going to butcher her name, Stacy Moskovitz or whatever her name is. And this is the one that gets brought back up later um, for multiple reasons. But it's not like, like, it's not like he really, like, sure, he could plan, like, the area, but he doesn't know if there's going to be a person sitting in that car. He doesn't know when they're going to be sitting in that car. He doesn't know who's going to be walking by. It, like, for the most part, seems largely random. Pretty random, yeah. So, like, is he really good at planning a murder, or is he just like, I'm going to go to this area, and I hope I get lucky here? Dude beats me. I don't know what this guy's mind was yeah. like. Um, and so this is the first time that they also talk about there's a, a, a lot of pressure on the police to catch this guy, obviously. Um, and people are, you know, very angry with the fact that he hasn't been caught yet. Um and this goes into the whole divide versus the police, the media, and the investigative journalism because it leads into – it starts to uh, pose the idea that the cops don't really care if they get the right guy. They just want a guy. Yep. And one of the funny things too that uh, you brought up when we were watching it the other night was uh, when they showed like the news clip of just some random New York guy and he's like, oh, if I ever get my hands oh, on yeah. this guy. The most <laughs> – this guy. I fucking love this guy. The most New York guy ever. Saying the most New York thing ever. He was just like, yeah, swear to God, if I ever got my paws on him, no, I would have given him the old, you know, I, I'm not saying it, but I, hey, you know what I would have done? I would have done the thing, you know? Hey, I'm not saying it, but hey, you I mean, know. Yeah, basically everyone's opinion across the United States. But this guy just came across as a very oh, yeah. the most The most New York guy you ever. Know, 70s, 80s New York tough guy. He was hilarious. I love that guy. <laughs> Um, Shout out to that guy. So then it, 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 it comes to August 9th, and this is where this is where everything unfolds. Um, there was a summons for a guy named David Berkowitz, and so I believe he got a parking ticket. Um, so it's in the area of where all the, mur- the the killings have been. So the cop calls his the neighbor, Wheaton Carr, who happened to have her father living with them, dad, Sam Carr, and she's like, yeah, I know who David Berkowitz is. He actually shot and killed, like, my black lab. And he was like, all right, well, this is very weird because, A, he's, like, he's already used, like, force on an animal, which is normally the, like, one of the first signs of, like, a psychopath is you're, like, torturing animals. And then their dad, Sam, plays into the whole thing of the son of Sam. So the cops come and they stake out at his place um, and they actually find his car. They look through the window and they see the butt of a gun on the floor. And so they actually break into his car without a search warrant and find a letter written by the son of Sam that hadn't been, like, given to anybody. I thought this was where the cops met their downfall by breaking in without the search warrant. I thought for sure they could have just been done right there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. So they, they kind of do like a little bit of stakeout and they, they wait for this guy to come back and he's, he's about to get into his car and they go to arrest him and they say, are you David Berkowitz? And he says, nope, I'm the son of Sam and you got me. 
that was a pretty cool line, but such an anticlimactic situation. Like, I was hoping that there was going to... Not hoping. I was expecting that there was going to be some sort of pushback, fight, maybe a shootout, a car chase, something like that. And he was like, nope, you got me. Shucks. Well, I think that almost plays into the whole effect of what later plays out with this guy. Because I think if you... I mean, if there's like a shootout, I think he... Uh, this is this thing whole this whole documentary ends right there yeah probably but i I guess it plays to his mental instability too yeah so uh he gets arrested he gets taken and he was smiling the whole time and he was very like eager almost and happy to talk about what he had done uh and he actually says that sam this guy is a six thousand year old being aka the dog that he shot that was telling him to do what he did and he said he would drive around and wait for the sign from sam uh, and this is why, that's why he would kill people. When he got arrested and was smiling and all that stuff, it reminded me a lot of, uh, the Ted Bundy cases. Remember when Ted yeah. Bundy was taken to jail and he was like living it up cause it was his moment. That's what that yeah. arrest of David Berkowitz reminded me of. Um, so however, a lot of people who knew him and like worked with him, with David Berkowitz said that like he was very quiet and well-mannered and that they didn't think that he could do all these killings. Also, he didn't really look like any of the sketches that were given out. Basically none at all. Yeah. However, uh, Wheaton Carr's brother, John Carr, did look a lot like the sketches, who also was the son of Sam Carr. Um, And one of the things that uh, the letters from the son of Sam mentioned is like they give him a bunch of different names that he goes by and one of them is John Wheaties which is John Carr's nickname that he had in high school here is where I had a little bit of I guess discrepancy I don't even know if that's the right word John Carr looked like the sketches but like again not really like he looked more he looked more than David Berkowitz right for sure but, like, it still wasn't even that close to an identical match. Like, yeah, they had similar features, but so do a lot of people. Yeah, but, you know, then you actually go, you know, you start connecting the dots. John Wheaties is a very particular nickname. Unique. Yeah, that he was called in high school. He legitimately is the blood son of Sam. So it's like, eh, one of those things where it's like, hey, it makes a lot more sense than David Berkowitz did. Um, So... That kind of ends the first episode, and then the second episode is where they start to kind of take the more deeper dive into the conspiracy aspect, in my opinion. Um, And they talk about this place that was, uh, it was like a park a mile away from the Berkowitz and the Carr household. Um, And it's said to that a lot of like satanic type of worshiping was done there. And they actually found like a little cave called that they called the devil's cave and there's basically blood on the walls um and they said that the group that would do all the devil worshiping there was named the children and this is where they talk about their first little um you know dive into the the cult satanic type of practices that you know basically this whole documentary is kind of summed up around yep um so there's a lot of also connections between the son of sam murders and these cults one of them being the son of sam had a little i would call it like a logo almost that he would write on all the letters uh has a lot of cult references the actual symbol for the son of sam uh depicts cult references uh and then the symbol for the children 
uh, actually has the word Burke and then Sam Carr, if you read it backwards on there. Um, he also talks about in some of the letters, he uses the line, hello from the gutters. Uh, and this, they said it could be a reference to the aqueducts that connects the houses to the devil's cave, which there was the meeting place for the, the, uh, the children, which is where they kind of get into the first connection of, hey, maybe this guy wasn't the only guy who committed all eight of these murders. Mm-hmm. Next, they kind of go into what I thought was a little bit more factual evidence. I believe it was the fifth murder. Don't quote me on it. Fifth shooting. Um, David Berkowitz is placed by eyewitnesses as being five blocks away a minute before the shooting, which is almost... I believe it is probably physically impossible to get down five blocks in a minute, make the shooting, and then, like, get back in time. Yeah, yeah. So, again, they if you want to talk about, like, actual factual evidence behind this, um, this is where they kind of talk a little bit more about that. And they also talk about a little bit more how John Carr and then even his other brother, Michael Carr, uh, have been involved, have been said to be involved in the group called The Children. So... This is where they really take a deep dive into this, and you're sitting there and you're like, you know what? Maybe it was like a group of people. Maybe it was John Carr, uh, and then just bombshell right in the middle of the episode. John Carr ends up dead in North Dakota. Yeah, wild. just wild to drop. And one of the things that was like pretty crazy on a military base. Don't know how we got on there. Couldn't tell you. They said that uh, one of the police officers said he went in there. He hears a gunshot. Uh, and John Carr is found lying dead on uh, the uh, like the back of the the room area. Not kinda. gonna lie, towards like the middle of episode two and episode three, carrying on from that, as I mentioned at the beginning, I haven't seen episode four yet. But like that's where they started to kind of lose me with all of these connections of people and like how they got there who they're actually involved with where they are at different points in time like it just started to get really confusing unless you were absolutely locked in yeah and also i guess we kind of forgot to mention at the beginning of episode two i feel like is when they take a deeper dive into probably who i would consider the main character of this whole documentary besides david berkowitz is this guy maury terry the investigative journalist yeah that guy sucks he He's fucking crazy. I do not like him one bit. He is crazy. I think he might be just as crazy as as the killers I and I people involved. Gonna, I wasn't going to say it, but I was thinking it the whole time. And I have it written down. He goes on a date to... And he... T- first date, he takes this girl. And I want to say they go like putt-putt or something like that or whatever. I think so. And then after that, he goes, do you want to go to one of the places where the son of Sam killed somebody. If I'm that chick, I'm like, I'm going to get murdered tonight. Like, this guy is legitimately going to kill me. Yeah. I I felt like he was trying to be as involved in this case without actually being one of the killers as possible. This guy was a crazy person. Absolute and, psychopath. And if you think he's crazy now, dude... You didn't see episode four. They take like a deep dive into this guy's life. and He's fucking crazy. Well, episode three talks about how he gets a divorce. I was like, well, could have seen that one coming. Yeah. So 
um, they go down and, you know, they start doing an investigation in Minnesota and, um, they, they talk to a bunch of people that John Carr was friends with and John Carr down there admits to people that he knew Berkowitz and participated in witchcraft. Not only did he participate in the witchcraft, they said that he was also probably the leader of the like group that did all the witchcraft practices. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's also said to have drawn the Son of Sam logo four months before it was published. So another thing that was like, all right, well, this is a little bit, little bit weird, you know? Um, and so the little town that it was in, in North Dakota, was giving all the information that, you know, John Carr had admitted to knowing Berkowitz. He was participating in witchcraft. They're giving all this information to the Brooklyn DA, um, and nothing was really pursued out of this. And I guess this is where it goes back to the overarching theme of the police just needed somebody. And they were like, hey, we got somebody. We don't want to, you know, like open up this investigation and kind of like almost admittedly being like, hey, we fucked up a little bit. Yeah. And yeah. we kind of jumped the gun. Um, so not only is John Card killed in this, you know, very questionable way, I would say. Also, his brother, Michael Carr, is killed in a questionable car accident. He's run off the road uh, at a high speed. And so the theory that they kind of pose towards this end of, you know, episode two is is the satanic cult killing its own members to cover up loose ends. My only question to that is why kill why go out and shoot have eight shootings have the guy get caught you cover up your loose ends why did they just like stop killing period. Yeah, cuz it felt like Berkowitz was just basically trying to take the fall for everything knowing yeah. that there were more people involved. And they could have just – everyone else could have gotten away completely oh, yeah. free had the story just ended right there. Yeah, because, like, I mean, there's no, like, paper trail or, right. like, right. member list of this cult. It was just like, you know, don't ask, don't tell type of thing. Yep. Um. So that's kind of the end of, you know, episode two. Sorry, I'll flip my notes over here. <laughs> Jack's got a legal pad Dude, of paper. I have got so many notes on this thing. So we get into episode three. Um, Maury Terry, the investigative journalism, actually gets the case reopened. The Son of Sam case reopened by, I want to say it was Queens, Brooklyn DA or Queens DA? Queens, I believe. Queens DA. Um, so they are questioning Wheat Carr, the sister of, Wheaton Carr, the sister of John Carr and Michael Carr. And I feel like they just kind of just dropped this line, like right in the beginning and brushed over it. There's just like a voice recording of her being like, yeah, I'm not even going to try and deny the fact that they were in a cult. It's like, well, what the fuck? It's like, <laughs> that seems like you're just admitting. She was like, yep. She was like, I don't even care if like my brother like gets like his name run through the mud. She was like, I just want to figure it out. Yeah. I was like, well, all right, well, let's figure it out. Uh, they They didn't really figure anything out. Uh, they basically just took a deep dive down a cult rabbit hole. Uh, so they start talking about how Michael Carr was initially in the Church of Scientology and kind of breaks off into this other group called the Process Church of the Final Judgment, which is a cult that is rooted in Scientology but kind of broke off, you know, off 
the actual Scientology build. And this cult, the process is like the short name for it, was started in 1963 with Robert and Mary de Grimston. Um, and so they leave Scientology. Did, did you like really pay attention to how this cult kind of started? Was this episode three? Yeah. Uh, I was like in and out. I literally watched it on, on my lunch break during work. Because this was wild. So they leave the Church of Scientology, which is already a fucking cult in and of itself. Oh, dude, that, that, that scares me right there. Oh, yeah. And they go to Mexico. And right as they get to Mexico, there's an extremely bad hurricane for three days. Oh, yeah. And Robert is just like, you know what? That's it. We need to embrace the violence and the evil in humanity and take this as a symbol to wipe out all of humanity and start new. Could you imagine having that perspective of life? Whoa. That is. Because you got stuck in a hurricane. You're like, yep, that's the sign that everyone needs to die. Fuck everybody. (laughs) Like, no. Yeah. (laughs) And so... um, they 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 start this place called the Process Church of the Final Judgment, and this is a very uh, you know just weird weird group. Oh yeah, they wore dark hoods and crosses. This is I I don't actually know where the first like real cult thing started, but this seems like the first time that we get the uh, stereotypical or like Hollywoodized version of like what a cult looks like, like them. Mm-hmm. Um, big black hoods, everything like that, and they also love German shepherds. And this was like the kind of the callback to the second episode when they're talking about the Devil's Cave. They find a lot of uh, dead German shepherds around it. Um, So I guess that was like the little circle back deep dive on that. Um, So this church, the process, it establishes a house in San Francisco. uh, And one of their neighbors is Charles Manson of the Manson family. Now this dude, fucked up. Very. Very fucked up. He starts his own little cult called the family who uh were confirmed for at least 10 to 15 different killings around the san francisco area um and so his like kind of goal was almost the same as the process which is where they start kind of making the connection uh charles manson kind of wanted to start a race war to promote the apocalypse which was just fucking i got a nice little way to wrap this up at the end it's just like just fucking (laughs) Oh, great. Uh, so then they kind of look for the connection between like the Manson family and the process and if there is any um, and you know 11 years after they kind of get started the process goes underground and kind of splits but right as that happens another cult pops up in New York City circle back to second episode and that cult is the children and this is where they kind of try to draw a lot of the connection between Charles Manson in this cult because they talk about Charles Manson's cult being called the family and then these people come up you know a little bit after the that family cult is dispelled and they're called the children it's almost like a breakaway of that yep um and so this is who again this whole documentary is kind of spinning that these the children is the ones who are responsible for all these killings um and so right after they talk about this they talk about how David Berkowitz the supposed son of Sam sends a letter to Murray Terry admitting to there being others involved and that John Carr is one of them, but he drops the very ominous line that kind of will tie this at the with a bow at the end that the public will never truly believe you no matter how well your evidence is presented. Again. That's fucking wild. I, I, yeah, I felt like that was kind of the overarching theme that played out through the whole end of these 
episodes. Yeah. Yeah. But at the same time, like, I think that's easy for us to say hindsight 2020. Yeah. I think in the moment, I don't know if I'd believe him. I mean, I don't know. This Maury Terry guy is a kook, too. That's another thing. No one in this entire documentary is sane at all. (laughs) Just fuck, not a single fucking person. I swear to God. Um, so this was also something that was like pretty fucking scary when he sends the, uh, book called the art of witchcraft. I forget who he sent it to inside the book. It talks about this woman from North Dakota who was stalked, targeted and killed at Stanford university by a devil cult. That was fucking crazy because then they look back and it actually happened like 10 years prior to the first killing and it like legitimately was like killed in a church at Stanford, like very fucking scary. So he obviously knows something because you don't just like bring that up and he dropped even the name of the lady uh, that was killed. So again, very weird. So right after this, they kind of talk about this new informant that they have, Vinny. Hey, they dropped Vinny. Um, and so the last killing, I believe, the girl Stacy Moskovitz, um, again, at this time, they still think everything was random, you know? Right. Uh, and this guy Vinny talks about how he knows that the Stacy Moskovitz killing was not random, but actually filmed and was sold to the highest bidder, which is just fucking gross and despicable. Disgusting. And fucking crazy that people are actually, like, doing that. Yeah. Yeah. That was just something that, like, just gave me, like, chills to the bone. Like, why the fuck would anybody want to see that? Why the fuck would anybody be paying for that? It's just fucking gross. Um, and Vinny drops that this guy... Flipping the notes again. <laughs> flipping the note page here. Fucking <laughs> 10,000 of them. Uh, Vinny talks about this guy, R.R., who is living in the Hamptons... Uh, and he's like part of the cult and he's probably actually one of the guys that was involved in the, you know, wanting to buy the film and everything like that. Yeah. Uh, very odd coincidence here. I was watching that episode today wearing a shirt from the Hamptons. God damn it, Michael. What Could have been world? you. <laughs> so then this guy, they, they kind of do like a little deep dive and they find out this guy, Roy Raiden, RR, who was like a famous producer. Uh, has a house in the Hamptons who where he likes to throw a lot of sex parties, a lot of weird sex parties. They Dude, said okay. the room. Oh my god! Listen, if it wasn't a sex room, it would have been a sweet room. They said he had a room that was half the size of a full basketball court that was, was just, just a, a bed. bed. That's fucking. That's cool. I mean, listen, I don't want to participate in the sex parties, and like, I never want to have like a sex party on a bed that big. But I would like to have a bed that. Imagine big. having a bed that big, you dude. If I had, I feel like I'd roll my ankle <laughs> walking on that bed, dude. I'm not crawling. If I had a bed that big and blackout curtains in the room, Friday nights, Saturday nights, dude, I would go in there, sprawl out, and sleep for like 14 hours. Oh yeah, it would oh, be glorious. Yeah. Definitely. I want a water bed that big. Let's just <laughs> bring that one back. <laughs> um. So they, you know start to do Maury starts to do like investigating into this guy and days later he's actually found dead with his head split open and then then this is where I feel like Maury I feel like that moment was when Maury went like just full off the deep end like he was already pretty crazy and then he went like like oh the fucking cult killed this guy too like 
these days gotta be like this has gotta be all just the same thing uh turns out just wasn't uh it was just over a bad movie deal yep not about the cult at all sucks to suck maury <laughs> uh this is one something i just wanted to bring up again a little lighthearted moment unintentionally one of the funniest moments i've ever seen in the like towards the end of episode three uh when they're on the talk show with the live audience and uh the guy's like talking to a guy and he goes so you claim to be a witch and then the guy goes i am a witch and there's like a little awkward pause and the whole audience just goes "Aww." i was like what the <laughs> fuck was that i just started dying laughing i was like who what 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 the fuck kind of response also, Why are they awing? What, what is the correct response to that? <laughs> Woo! <laughs> it's just a, like, soundtrack, like, laugh, <laughs> boo. Like, come on. Or, like, aw. It legitimately sounded like like a soundtrack where, like, somebody clicked the button and everyone was like, aw. Yeah. Like, I just imagine, like, some guy in the front row being like, what the fuck do I say? What do I make the crowd do? <laughs> it's like, I don't know, just make him do anything. He just holds up, like, a cue card. They're like, aw. Unintentionally, one of the funnier moments. So... The ending of the episode three and kind of into episode four, they talk about how Maury finally gets his interview with David Berkowitz. So this is where you kind of ended off. Yep. So I'll take it from here. So this is uh, in 1993. So like almost 20 years. Almost 20? What? Yeah, after everything gets done. Uh, and David Berkowitz is a different man. He has seen the light and converted oh, yeah, to a- Christianity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got to that part. So... Contrary to what, like, basically everyone ex- was expecting, uh, he was not angry or anything. He was not crazy. He was very well-spoken and calm. Uh, and this was one of the things that was, like, kind of, like, very interesting to me. Uh, it almost sounds like he just, like, with the whole cult thing, that he was, like, if the cult was, like, a, uh, you know, like the Cliffs of Dover, you yeah. know? Yeah. If the cult was, like, the water, and then he's standing at the top... He's just like hanging out with all the people and then they just shove him in and they were just like, yep, sorry, I can't do anything now. <laughs> he was like, yeah, we would just all go and like hang out together. He says they would like sit around on stones and, and rap together. They would rap. And then he was like, and then one time they just fucking were just sacrificing animals. I was like, what? That was, seems like a pretty big jump to just be, you know, throwing that one out there. And then he's like, and then they just, joined me into the cult he was like we had to make a blood pact i have to give him pictures of my family they were like if you fucking turn on us he was like we're coming for your family so he's like he's basically like ah shit like i'm in the middle of it now he just got mixed in with the wrong crowd yep um and so he says that uh he was at all of the this is like the first kind of confession this is a live like television interview that gets aired on tv says that he was at all of the crime scenes but did not pull the trigger on all of them. And he actually admits to only doing two of the eight shootings. Uh, And so this interview gets played on Inside Edition, and uh, this guy Carl De Niro was one of the victims, and he is sitting there watching this interview, and he was like, yeah, I've been told for 20-plus years that this is the guy that killed me. He was like, this is the first time I've heard anything else. Because Berkowitz admits to not shooting Carl De Niro. He's like, yo, what the fuck? That guy didn't kill me? They were like, try to shoot me? Like, he shot me in the face. Like, everybody told me it's that guy. It's not that guy. So, like, that was, like, one thing that, like, stood out to me, uh, like, a lot was that, they, like, they didn't really, like, run it by anybody. 
Um, just off the cuff. Yeah. And so this is, again, kind of takes a nice little bow tie wrap up, I guess. It's not nice, but goes back to the overarching plot of this, which is the police versus Maury versus the media. And the police are basically just like, yeah, Maury's a liar. Berkowitz is a liar. Like, we have this. Like, Berkowitz is the guy. There's only one shooter. There's always ever been one shooter. Maury's like, no. You know, this guy didn't act alone. He admitted to it. And then the media is just like, like half the media is like, yeah, he's lying. Half the media is like, hey, you should hear what this guy's got to say. Um, so it was a bunch of just like kind of pointing fingers. Uh, and then it kind of just like the whole thing just wraps up with, uh, I want to say it's three years after, three or four years after in like 1996 or 97, Maury goes back to doing another interview with Berkowitz and just talks himself off the deep end. Like just fully is like, like he is asking a bunch of leading questions. He basically is like, hey, my theory is exactly what's right, correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He definitely did that, right? And he definitely did this, right? And there was definitely this happening. And and like, I'm not I'm not crazy, right? Like you're, you're gonna confirm all this. And David Berkowitz is just like, uh, yeah, like sure. And so it just came off to everybody on TV that this guy Maury is just a fucking psychopath. I knew it. I knew it. I'm glad to hear that. And it just ends with like basically like there's there's people in uh, the Terry family, Maury's family, who are like, yeah, like a lot of people, like a lot of victims, you know, came up to us and they were like, thank you for what Maury did, which I will give him props to this. When it was all said and done, I do believe that David Berkowitz was not the only shooter. Oh, yeah, me too. So, like, if it wasn't for Maury, I don't think that would have ever been, like, investigated. So I will, like, give, like, him props for that. But he just, like, refused to accept that anybody would disagree with him. Yep, yep. And, like, they said that on his deathbed, his last words were, like, to another, like, cop that believed him was, like, hey, contact this person witness like he'll know about like the things like just fucking give it a rest buddy seriously say something about like ah, i wish i wouldn't uh, i wish i would have spent more time with my wife or like my fucking family have dude. some feelings like just you want you want to know how i'm going to tie this all up you want to know my one takeaway from this right here what's underlined right there just be normal <laughs> just fucking be a normal person Everyone in this documentary is fucking crazy. Every single person. There, like I said earlier, there was not a sane person in this entire documentary. Every single person was crazy. From start to finish, every person crazy. What a story. It was fucking... It was wild. That was pretty efficient. We did, what, about a little less than 50 minutes summarizing, recapping, giving our opinions of a four-hour documentary. Yeah, and also, disclaimer, probably should have made this at the beginning, but we're making it at the end. Obviously, we didn't cover everything. There are a lot of things that we left out because... Time. Yeah, if we did cover everything, it'd be four hours, which is how long the documentary is. Yep. So go watch the Sons of Sam documentary on Netflix. Very good, very weird, crazy. Um... Give us your own opinions. Yeah. So are, are you in the conclusion that David Berkowitz was not the only killer? Correct. Yeah, I think so. I think same. I think there's just – I think uh, 
that like whole cult thing was probably true to an extent. Uh, but I definitely think that he was not the only killer just based on like that sole evidence of like, you know, it's literally impossible for him to get all the way over there, shoot that person, get back in time. But yep. yep. I don't know, man. That was, that was something. Absolutely wild. Yeah. All right. Good. Weird Wednesday. That's a wrap, wrap on up. Weird Wednesday. Hope everyone enjoyed it. If you made it this far, you know what the deal is. Give us that five-star rating and review. Follow us on social media. And uh, we will catch everyone for Friday's episode. Hope you have a great rest of the week. In the meantime, keep them cold. Keep them cold, everyone.